Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. Oh yes, it's that time of year when it's snowing, there's Black Friday deals, there's Cyber Monday deals, there's people warring over highly priced items, now half off, but still highly priced. It's also that time of year when timeless Christmas classics come onto our TV screens. Classics like Rudolph the Reindeer, which feature themes of bullying and non-inclusiveness and bigotry. Yes, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a bigoted and horrible story. <laughs> well, not exactly, at least not from this vantage point, uh, despite what others may say. So stick with me here. There's a bit of a dramatic intro here on the writer's lens, but I wanted to get your attention because I love this movie, I love this story, and I want to talk about why I think it's great. And uh, this is the writer's lens. I'm Josh J.C. Felton. Now, as of the time I'm doing this, I'm in my mid-30s, and I am an uh, elder millennial. I've said that many times here on this podcast, but uh, I've always grown up with a few significant Christmas stories around this time of year, and besides A Christmas Story, besides um, Elf, uh, besides stories like um, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, White Christmas... There's one that I always really enjoyed, and it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a r- older, older um, show slash TV special. But the story of Rudolph is one that most kids, you know, even younger than me, 20 years, 30 years younger than me, are at least semi-familiar with, because he's the most famous reindeer of them all, and he goes down in history. There's a song I could sing for you, but I'll, I'll spare you that. But Rudolph is the story of a... Uh, deer who had a strange nonconformity, a red glowing nose. And as we all know, uh, reindeer don't have glowing noses. But in the North Pole, where Santa needs reindeer to guide his sleigh and drop off toys to every little boy and girl around the world, you might need one with a red nose, as we find out in his story. But, um, but last year, so 2018, this is 2019 that I'm doing this, there were some folks on the internet making some waves, specifically on Twitter, that were trying to get Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer censored, or rather uh, raise awareness about its bigotry and its problematic storyline, which uh, when I read it, I had to do a bit of a double take because I thought, this can't actually be real. But then I thought, wait a second, this is Twitter, this is social media, of course this is happening because there are all kinds of um, unique opinions out there. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got to share them, and it's Twitter. So obviously, this is a real thing. But there were there were actual websites promoting this idea. So it wasn't just like a few folks, you know, in their basements somewhere, uh, mad at the world, uh, you know, shaking their fists at the sky and asking the heavens, "Why on earth have you allowed such a film to uh, to be so popular for years and years on end, uh, contaminating our youth with ideas about bullying?" Well. The Huff Post, I think, was the biggest offender, and they were the ones that actually caused it to go viral. Uh, when they tweeted out last year 
and I don't have the, maybe this is the exact quote I'm paraphrasing, but they said the holiday TV classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is seriously problematic. And they put like a, a strange little face at the end of their, their tweet. And uh, ugh, I saw this and I just thought, well, what's so problematic about it? And then I started reading a bit about how there were concerns of, like I've said before, bullying, bigotry, and uh, mistreatment of those that are a little bit different from others. Well, I have a lot to say about that. As a storyteller, there's always going to be something in the story which at any particular point in time is going to seem like an injustice. That's um, usually called the inciting incident, which where something happens in the very first act of a story that drives the rest of the protagonist uh, or the, the heroes of the story, the heroines of the story, drives them forward. And in this instance, Rudolph is born with a red nose, one that glows rather uh, loudly, and it's rather difficult to not notice it. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a bit of an eyesore, I guess, to people that would look at it and go, okay, why does this reindeer have a red nose? And it glows. So I want to go over some notable scenes uh, in this film, in this story, because it, to me it's a bit of a timeless tale. Um, it's suitable for any age, and uh, there's a lot of good reasons why. And there's a lot of good reasons why it's been around for so long, because of the themes and because of the lessons that are learned within. But if you're someone who is really just trying to make waves and you're trying to make a statement as though you're you know, anti-bullying or you're anti uh, you know, exclusivity, or I don't even know what the term would be. There's a lot of antis in there. But uh, but honestly, giving it a fair shake from beginning to end is the best way to look at any story. And trying to see what was the author after? What was the storyteller after in this? And Rudolph is another great example of you can't just take a snapshot out of context and then start saying that it's wrong all the way through. You just can't do that. First of all, that's not fair to the story. And second of all, that's being inaccurate, okay, and that's being ignorant to the rest of the story. So, so here we go. So, if you didn't know the synopsis of Rudolph, I'm going to run through it in the next ten seconds, just so that we can all be on the same page. Uh, one of Santa's reindeer, Donner and Mrs. Donner, as she's called in the story, have a baby reindeer named Rudolph. Turns out he has a red nose. Santa tells Donner, "Hey, better get that fixed. Um, if he's going to pull my sleigh someday." Uh, they try to hide it with black over his nose. It's very uncomfortable. He ends up playing in some reindeer games. It gets exposed. He considers himself a misfit. They tell him that he's no longer allowed to play any reindeer games because of his nose. Pretty harsh, but we'll get back to that later. Uh, he ends up running into an elf named Hermie who wants to be a dentist. He doesn't want to make toys. And together, they end up forming a little coalition of sorts of misfits. And as they run away from home, they run into someone named Yukon Cornelius, who's an amazing character in this story, very underrated, who's looking for silver and gold. And uh, they end up whining, uh, or they end up finding themselves being chased by the abominable snow monster of the north who hates Christmas. They land on the island of misfit toys, and from there uh, they are sent away because they cannot stay there, even though they are misfits. Only toys are allowed to stay there. Uh, the toys being misfit toys, it, pretty hilarious. Uh, I'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, but eventually Rudolph runs away completely, and he's on his own, grows up. Uh, realizes that his family's been looking for him. He goes and saves them from the abominable snow monster, including his love interest, Clarice. Uh, and when he comes back to, uh, you know, I guess the North Pole, Santa Claus's hometown, 
a huge snowstorm has come through, which is making it impossible to take off and, and deliver toys on Christmas Eve. But then Santa realizes that Rudolph has an incredibly shiny nose that will light the way. So he puts him immediately at the front of the team, and all is well again. And uh, there's a couple other parts there I'm leaving out, but I said I'd do it in 10 seconds, and that was slightly longer. So I hope you I hope you stayed with me for that whole synopsis. <laughs> so uh, it's practically printed on the back of my hand because I watched it so much growing up as a kid. And, and now that I have children myself, I can enjoy it uh, even more so now as an adult and appreciate it even more. So now that you got the basic idea of the story and I've caught you up to speed again, some notable scenes in this when talking about the quote-unquote problematic elements of Rudolph. I mean, right off the bat, uh, you know, Donner, who is Rudolph's own dad, tries to hide his nose. He tries to hide this, uh, you know, this glowing nose of Rudolph's. And anyone who's ever been in a situation, if you've ever had a parent or guardian say to you, you know what, just, just, just don't talk about it, right? Just, just don't deal with it. Just don't ever bring it up. Like, never, you know, deal with the gorilla in the room. Uh, we're just never going to discuss it ever again. There's a lot of wrong with this um, in our, uh, you know, in, in just theory, there's a lot wrong with this. Uh, in action, there's a lot wrong with this. And also in the dynamics of relationships, there's a lot wrong with this. If you've ever been in a family where it goes one step further and there's maybe like a black eye or a sore on the family in terms of history, and there's never been forgiveness for an act that was committed or somebody did something or somebody said something, that can carry forward into the future and affect so many other areas of your life that you may not even realize it. Now, I'm not a psychologist. Um, my mother is a professor of psychology, so I'm kind of stealing a bit from her her knowledge and her wisdom on this. But unresolved issues of shame uh, bleed into everything. Okay, they, they cause us to think about uh, ourself in ways that, you know, we're not good enough, uh, that we can't do certain things well, even though we may do things well. We may believe the words of someone years ago. They said it one time to us, and, and now we, we feel guilty or, or shameful about what had happened to us. It could have been an action done to us as well, something perhaps even more grisly than than saying you're ugly or you're not good enough or that's, you know, you look stupid. So this idea of not talking about the elephant in the room is a big deal that should be should be taken on at some point. It's something that as human beings, we have to be able to work through and we have to be able to talk about it with another person. Now, the other person may not be willing to discuss it, but if we're ever in a position where, you know what, this has been plaguing us for years, this has been plaguing me for years, I have to get this off my chest, it's important that we do. It's important that we do. I, I mean, C.S. Lewis has some great verbiage on this uh, where he talks about uh, having a neighbor and uh, the illusion of being a good neighbor is... I don't bother my neighbor. I don't deal with my neighbor. I, uh, you know, I let them to their own devices, and that's me being a good neighbor because I stay out of their business. Well, that's somewhat true, but being a, a good neighbor or even a great neighbor is investing in the person next to you, getting to know them, having them get to know you. You know, letting your walls or your fence come down a bit. Maybe they might need help with something, and you never knew that. Uh, Lewis says uh, that you didn't. You may have lived close to someone for you know years, but you silently killed them in your own heart by never engaging with them. And I'm paraphrasing that, but uh, I always thought that was just so fantastic <clears throat> because it illuminates the reality that even though we're not really 
talking about things with somebody. We think we're we're omitting it. We think that we're not causing any waves. We're we're being good about it. We're being non-confrontational. And obviously, you can be non-confrontational in this. But by ignoring someone, you might be ignoring their plight. You might be ignoring a chance at a really good relationship or a good friendship. Okay, within certain parameters, of course. But uh, but yeah. To resolve these things, especially in a family setting, is, is, a, is a big deal. You know, for years, just to share something personally, my, uh, my dad, who has Parkinson's disease, he's had it for half his life, didn't want anyone to know about it. He didn't want anyone to talk about it in the house. He didn't want to discuss it openly in front of us. And with me being a young boy, being a teenager, you know, I did what my dad said. I love my dad, so I, I did what he said. But, but after years of never discussing it, after years of not telling my friends, that really caused me to have a lot of anger. And the anger was mostly directed at him because I thought, well, why can't you just discuss this? Why can't you be open with somebody else about what's going on? And it was only after more people were brought into the picture and were made to be aware of what was going on, was there more open dialogue? Could people relax a little bit more in family settings? Could people uh, you know, even joke about certain things around my dad? Uh, it just it couldn't have, it couldn't happen prior to that. It was impossible to have those kinds of conversations until we were able to talk about the elephant in the room. And what a relief it was for me and my friends, uh, and even my brothers. I got five of them to be able to discuss this openly because now my friends uh, didn't have to skirt around the issue. They didn't have to you know alter their you know just questions about like well why didn't you uh, you know why didn't your dad or you come out to this event or something like that. And I didn't have to omit the truth. I could just tell them, well, yeah, my dad was having a bad day well, with his Parkinson's. He was shaking or, or something. He just couldn't make it. Okay, fine. Well, that was the truth. That was being honest. So that's the first big lesson here to learn uh, in this story is that just hiding something, especially something like that, and trying to keep it a secret in, in broad daylight is, is eventually and ultimately going to eat us away at the inside. And uh, in most cases, it will become exposed and eventually, as it did with Rudolph, because as we know, later on, he is playing uh, in the quote-unquote reindeer games. He's learning to fly, and his, his false nose pops off, and his real nose is exposed, and immediately everyone thinks he's a freak. And to uh, my surprise, actually, the... the <laughs> And I said I'd get to this. A rather harsh response immediately is, "We're not going to let Rudolph play in any of our reindeer games." <laughs> Which, if I, I if I could play the clip in here, I will. For crying out loud! Fireball, what's the matter? Get away! Get away from me! No, 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 no! What's this nonsense here, Box? After all, you better go home with your folks. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, it's pretty harsh right there. It's like, oh, he's got a bad nose, so you can't play any games anymore because clearly the nose affects the way you fly and do everything else. So, But again, a good lesson to be learned. I mean, people will say things like that. People will exclude you from things based upon an appearance, based upon the way you look. And, and there might be good reasons for that, okay? Again, you know, it could be a reason, you know, maybe you need to tidy yourself up a bit. You know, you can't just be walking into places, you know, half naked or or looking, you know, like you just rolled out of a garbage can, okay? There's, you know, there's, there's, there's parameters for this. But in this instance, when Runoff clearly can fit in, he can do everything else everybody else is doing, 
uh, and then we just kind of exclude him because he has a weird nose. Yeah, that's 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 kind of mean. Okay, that's 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 being pretty mean. And adults will do this. I mean, uh, you know, I don't have to run down all the ideologies that are exclusive, but uh, that base themselves completely on surface level issues. Um, mostly, um, you know, very racist thought based on surface level uh, observations. Yeah, I mean, if people jump to those kinds of conclusions, then there's a heart issue there. There's definitely a heart issue that needs to be examined. But, um, but moving on, as you can hopefully clearly see, this was a this was problematic. Rudolph meets Hermie, and Hermie is a great character because he's an elf who wants to be a dentist. I want to be a dentist. You know, he he doesn't want to be a toy making elf. And what a great character! I, I love this guy. Um, you know, he's caught at one point missing um, elf practice because he's putting teeth inside of dolls to turn them into chewing dolls. <laughs> and, uh, and it's wonderful. It's great. And he runs away. And uh, essentially, you know, he comes to the conclusion, you know, I, I guess I'm on my own now. And, and uh, you know, you can't fire me. I quit. You know, he has that very sort of, you know, anti-establishment, anti-corporation mindset <laughs> in here. You know, is Hermie an anti-corporate, anti-capitalist in this instance? You know, no, he's probably a capitalist because he wants to start his own business. So I, I, I retract on that statement. But yeah, so he has this very defiant moment. He quits the the uh, toy making business, wants to go into business for himself, but he has no clue what he's going to do. He can't even get a loan. So, he, so he ends up teaming up with Rudolph. The two run into each other, and they find one another, which I think also happens to people. Uh, there are always communities for folks to find community within. Uh, even when we feel like we're completely downtrodden, we feel like we're an outcast, like nobody else shares our interest, chances are there's other people out there that share our interest. Uh, you know, case in point, um, my older brother, my oldest brother, is in a um, sword fighting group. Now, my brother for years has loved swords. Okay, he's a you know, big fan of sort of medieval swords, etc. Now, this is not LARPing. Um, but the, he loves swords. He loves just sort of that time period. Um, he loves futuristic things too, because uh, he's a nerd like me. But he uh, <laughs> he was always interested in it, and he found a fencing group that uh, it's like broadsword, or um, I can't remember the full name of it. But but he loves it. He's done it for years, and uh, you basically get to spar with 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 swords as if you were I don't want to say medieval times, but but uh, he found people that have his interest that also engage in this with him. And they have that common interest, like a, you know, like a club to be together with. And so there are opportunities to bond with other folks over these kinds of things. There are good things to bond over, bad things to bond over, of course. But there's community out there. So Hermie and Rudolph find each other despite their, uh, their sort of misfit status. They're able to find one another. And I'm sure maybe you've discovered that too. If you're someone who's on your own and you're listening to this podcast, you know, know that there are other people out there that could relate to you in some way. You know, don't think that you're just on an island. Because that's one place where you don't want to be. You don't want to be on an island. Um, never want to be on an island. Human beings are made to be social. We're made to be uh, interactive with one another. Uh, our body chemistry demands it. Our souls demand it. Uh, God demands it. <laughs> uh, so don't, don't shy away from that. So moving forward then... Uh, the other notable thing I wanted to, to bring up is that despite, and I could do a whole podcast on Yukon Cornelius, so I'm not going to go deeply into him, but uh, they wind up on this island of misfit toys. So there's this continuing theme of being misplaced and not being able to fit in with the crowd. And the island of misfit toys 
is full of toys that are pretty funny uh, if you've never seen the movie. But they have all these strange sort of malfunctions. So there's a water pistol that shoots jelly, you know. There's a <laughs> there's a, a, a choo-choo train with square wheel caboose on a, square wheels on his caboose. Uh, there's a b- b- boat that can't stay afloat, f- f- um, as he says in the in the movie. There's uh, a Jack in the Box whose name is Charlie, which I think is the funniest one of all. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so there's this island of misfits, and they they decide Rudolph, Hermie, and Yukon that they're going to live on the island because they're misfits themselves, but they are told that they're not allowed to stay because they're because they're not toys, obviously, and toys get a great deal of joy from. Being Loved by a Child, which this could have been the catalyst for the Toy Story films. I don't know. You'd have to ask the original creators of Toy Story. Who knows? But uh, but they can't stay on the island. And um, uh, Rudolph leaves on his own. He leaves behind his two friends, realizing that, um, you know, he kind of has to strike it out on his own and figure out for himself what, you know, what to do. Now, this is where things, of course, begin to take a, a, a bigger turn for the good, and the moral of the story begins to come out, because Donner, Rudolph's dad, realizes that he was really hard on Rudolph, he did some terrible things by trying to make him hide his nose, so he goes looking for him, you know, in the fact that that his son was lost, he goes out and looks for him, now this isn't exactly the prodigal son where the son comes back to the father, no, the father goes looking for the son, and to me that's significant, because it shows that the dad has a heart. Obviously, he loves his son. He wanted what was best for him. He realizes that he messed up, and now he wants to go find him. Now, does this happen in real life very often? Probably not. Okay, usually uh, we are hopeful that our parents can turn over a leaf on something, that they will apologize to us as their children for things that they did in their past. And a lot of times, I think towards the end of a person's life, this might start to come out. But I totally understand that as many sons and daughters who are listening to this, your own parents or guardians will never apologize to you for things that they did, that they said, or what they, they might have done. They might never want to apologize to you for X, Y, Z reason. And I'm sorry, you know, for that. And, and uh, you know, I, I've been in situations um, with friends who have, you know, told me things that their parents have done and have never apologized. They just kind of skirt around the issue. They never want to discuss it. And that may never happen. You know, you may never have someone turn the corner on something and apologize for the way they treated you. And I'm not going to say that it's totally okay. I'm not going to say that it's totally right. But but you can find yourself to forgive them, which doesn't mean that you just ignore the issue. Um, it doesn't mean that you just say, okay, well, I forgive you, and then you move on with your life. No, there's there's probably some deeper healing that needs to come out, that needs to be dealt with in those situations. But this story itself, I think, gives the hope that we know that people can change and can eventually forgive or realize their errors and, and try to come out and seek and find us. And I think that's part of the hope of this, of this tale is that, uh, you know, we all can understand that we're not perfect. We make errors. We make mistakes. And if we go looking for forgiveness, if we go looking for an apology uh, to be made, uh, then there can be a lot more peace from it, especially in the, in the relationship of a father and son or a relative or, you know, someone of blood or, or you know, again, uh, you know, someone very close to you, that can happen. So significant turning point in the story. And as I said before, they, they end up 
you know, fighting off the abominable snow monster, saving Mrs. Donner and, and Clarice, you know, Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon, uh, save everyone from the abominable. In fact, Hermie uses his dentist skills. He pulls the teeth out of the abominable snow monster, which is also an amazing part of the story. <laughs> and uh, have you been able to tell yet that I like this movie a lot? I love I love this story. So uh, so after all this goes down, we we believe that Yukon is is passed away because he chases the abominable off a, off a cliff and disappears. Everyone is very sad. They come back to the North Pole, and once they're back at the North Pole. Uh, a huge snowstorm uh, begins to take over the North Pole, canceling Christmas this year to everyone's dismay. Uh, and in the midst of all this, Yukon returns, and he has the the Bumble with him, the abominable snow monster, because Bumbles bounce. Okay, <laughs> okay. So I hope you're still with me at this point, listener. I hope you're still checking in on this episode because I'm having fun with it. I hope you're having fun with it. Uh, but anyway. Uh, everyone uh, makes up here in this story. Uh, this sort of restoration occurs where uh, the head elf allows Hermie to open up a dentist office. And, uh, you know, Donner finally gets to apologize to his son. And Yukon, who's a bit of a misfit in some way, brings in the bumble, uh, the abominable snow monster. Uh, and then he has the job of putting the star on the tree because he's so big. So even him being an outcast being semi-misunderstood. <laughs> he gets to have a cool job. He gets to put a star on the tree. So all's well that seems to end well. Well, of course, the snowstorm canceling Christmas doesn't happen because Santa realizes that Rudolph's nose is bright enough to light the way. And so they put him at the front of the sleigh, or at the front of the, the other reindeer, to lead uh, the sleigh throughout the night. And as I said before, all's well that ends well. Rudolph leads them into the sky, you know the, you know the song, and uh, he gets put at the front of the line, and they actually go to the Island of Misfit Toys first and gather up all the toys to deliver them to children. So even the Misfit Toys get to have a good ending. Even they get to be taken by Santa, who, um, I don't know if it's he forgives them for their strangeness, or rather he just basically uh, decides that they, they can have a home finally and sends them on their way. <laughs> <laughs> for their uniqueness, but it's a it's a great tale because it shows that you can be included even if you're a little bit different. You can be included if there's a straight uh, a strange deformity. Uh, there is inclusiveness to be had, and even if people did bully us, we can become stronger from that. Um, even if someone does try to treat us like an outsider, we can become stronger uh, than that. We can grow into something stronger than that. We can be sharpened into something better than what we were before. And uh, that's what I'm going to leave this episode on, is, is the end theme of this tale is so important as a message to kids that even if you are bullied, even if you are treated to be put on the outskirts, to be put on the fringe of things, you can still find purposeful things to do. And your purpose and your calling, or maybe even what you're good at, it may not emerge till you're older. It may not come out until you're older. Your gifting or whatever it is that initially made you seem like a stranger to other people. And it could be used for something good. It could have it could inevitably prove to others that you were worth it in the first place. So there is no need to be in this space of of, oh man, you know, I'm never gonna make it and 
and I, you know, I can't do this, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to gloss over these issues. I know that some of these things can be very deep-rooted and, and just really big battles for individuals, but I'm just trying to get the main point across that, again, even if we are bullied or if we are told that we're not good enough, there are things that we are good enough at, and we should strive for those, um, if nothing else. So so there's my analysis on Rudolph. I know it's a bit of a lengthy one for an, for an, uh, for an age-old Christmas story, but I love it. I hope you enjoy it, or maybe if you were like someone over at the Huff Post and you thought that Rudolph was this non-inclusive, horrible tale, maybe maybe I've changed your mind. Maybe you'll go watch it now and, and see it for perhaps what it I think is trying to teach us and what it is ultimately glorifying in the end. And uh, and yeah, all those things under the sun that that uh, that I just mentioned. So so thanks for sticking with me here on the Writer's Lens. Uh, I don't know if I'll be doing another Christmas story this month. Even though it is Christmas time, I'd love to get more Christmas stories out. But I, I think we're gonna we're gonna shift back into another big tale for my next analysis episode here on the Writer's Lens. So stick with me, guys. I appreciate it. You know, as always, be, for, be sure to like, share, subscribe. Uh, you know, share this podcast with someone creative who might enjoy these rants of mine, these analyses, and everything else. So uh, enjoy your week, guys. I'll get in touch with you again soon. This is Josh Chasey Alfalto for Writer's Lens.